G'day, welcome to On The Road, the number one Australian trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're an independent voice in Australian trucking and proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Welcome to show number 151. We've got a huge show for you today. Straight after this bit of an introduction, we're going to hook into this interview I did with Mr. Paul Salvati from the NHVR. Lovely chat with him. Great to have him on the show. And we talk about a bit of stuff that they've got going on there. And uh, I've got Andy with a Jared Taylor interview and a couple of tracks from him. Uh, of course, Bob was something to talk about. We get into the news and all the other usual bits and pieces we do on the show. Uh, without any further ado, because it's such a long show, this one today, we'll just get straight into it. Here we go. Today, I'd like to welcome Mr. Paul Salvati, the Chief Operations Officer with the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator, here for a bit of a chat. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we'd like to talk about some overhyped trucks and the uh, SCOs and what they do. But first of all, Paul, welcome to the show, mate. How are you going? Good, thanks, Mike. How are you, buddy? Oh, look, getting better every day. <laughs> You're the uh, Chief Operating Officer of the NHVR. What's the story with that role, mate? What do you do there? So I've got probably about 500 and something of our 800 and something staff. So the majority of staff. My probably three main areas I'll touch on. I've got all the on-road staff for what we call our central region, which is New South Wales and ACT. I've got all the on-road staff for our southern region, which is Victoria, Tassie and South Australia. And by mid next year, I should have all the on-road staff for Queensland as well. In addition to the on-road staff, I run all the, I guess I'd say services we offer, such as access permits, accreditation, performance-based standards, our contact centre, and a few other bits and bobs. So it's really most interactions with industry come through my division. So what do you do after lunch? <laughs> yeah, it feels that way sometimes. Oh, mate, that's a big job, isn't it? So all the safety compliance officers all all sort of answer to you, do they? Eventually, yes. Yeah, they do. They right. do. Right. So, well, you're the man then, aren't you? So, so you're the bloke that I slipped the 52 if I want to get out of something. Is that right? <laughs> I don't think so, Mike. Especially oh. not not recorded, buddy. <laughs> yeah, no, no, just 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 a joke, just a joke. I believe <laughs> I believe that things are a little bit more seamless these days, and uh, you know, particularly with all the the cameras and things. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, it's all pretty good. You're responsible for all the jurisdictions up and down the east coast and across to South Australia, Western Australia, and the Northern Territory are outside of the NHVR's purview at the moment. Is there anything happening that looks like you guys might be able to get into there or or uh, they might come over this way? What do you think is happening there? Oh, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say, Mike. We do a lot of work with Western Australia in particular. So we do a lot of shared operations. We share data back and forth. They're talking to us about using some of our tool sets. So even if they're not under the HVNL, we, we do have a lot of conversations around safety and how we can work together. In terms of whether they'll adopt the HVNL, you know, I guess that's you know that's a question for the West Australian government and, and industry over there. Okay, so let's just touch on the HVNL for a moment. Um, On-road compliance covers a broad range of activities. Uh, mm. I mean, we can mm. talk about all sorts of things like prescribed work, rest driver fatigue areas, yeah. work driver enforcement standards for heavy vehicles that meet when they're using the roads. 
checking maximum yep. mass and dimensions. And that's one of the things that we want to talk about today, maximum dimensions mostly, but loading and re load restraint on heavy vehicles. These are all things that uh, the safety compliance officers are into. What sort of training do these guys get? If I started work with you tomorrow as an SCO, what would happen? The training for our safety compliance officers goes across an entire year. We start by bringing them into a classroom situation and walking through some fundamentals. And they're things like our expectations on how they interact with customers or industry, some of the basic fundamentals of the law. Across the rest of the year, we go through a series of modules where they learn the theory of how to actually identify non-compliance or compliance, and then they actually go on road and practice those elements. When they got those right, we add some more training to them. They go and practice those parts. Across the entire year, they're under the, under the supervision of a more experienced staff member, and they've got to pass a series of different tests and examinations to actually become a fully authorised safety compliance officer. So it's pretty extensive. Yeah, right. So it's not just something that you, these guys can walk into. They've got a, you know, a number of boxes that they've got to tick before they get there. Do you have many former truck drivers or, or that becoming yeah. SCOs? Yeah, we, no, we do. We do. We've got people from all walks of life. We've got former drivers, former people working for large organisations as compliance. We've got police. We've got one lady used to run a series of different retail outlets. So it's not so much the background we'd look for, Mike. It's more, you know, can they actually provide the right level of interaction with industry? With the exception of New South Wales, where you have to have a mechanical background. Oh, righto. Why would it be a requirement just in New South Wales and not in other places? Yeah, in New South Wales, we provide the heavy vehicle inspection service, which is that a mechanical inspection once or twice a year, depending on your vehicle, mm. as part of your registration renewal process. We don't do that in any other state. So because we're doing that mechanical inspection, our staff need to be able to actually perform that, which is why it's compulsory in New South Wales. Yeah. Having said that, Mike, we have mechanics across our southern region as well, the other states as well. It's just not a mandatory requirement. Right, eh? I've been interested and have been asked lots of questions about the sharing of information between the various states under the uh, NHVR's trial. So we've got the uh, the safety cams, obviously, that we're all familiar with. What's the story with those? I mean, we've seen some weird and wonderful things happen there mm. and questions about how they work. What sort of background work has the NHVR been doing since you've been joining the states together to make that system run a little bit better? Yeah, there's a couple of things we do, Mike. So the safety cam network across the country looks at when you pass one camera and then pass the second, the computer program works out how long it took you to do that. Yep. And depending on the speed limit for that journey, we can then determine whether someone took a break or not. And then we can identify whether there's a possible non-compliant event. Yeah. When the states transition, when they bring additional cameras into that network, it means we get more information to identify whether, you know, potentially, potentially drivers have been driving fatigued or not. Now, obviously, Mike, if you're under AFM or driving two up, it's not a perfect science. Yep. But it's pretty useful in terms of for us finding drivers who either haven't met the requirements under the H1L or don't understand the driving and rest break requirements. Moving on from that, technology in the cab of the trucks has become a real issue. I've written and spoken about things like uh, seeing machines and uh, electronic yeah. work diaries, and yeah. I've tried a few of those systems out myself. Electronic work diaries seem as though they're the flavour of the month. The biggest areas where companies can get into mm. trouble with particularly chain of responsibility and things like that now are failing to properly supervise their, their staff from a fatigue point of view. 
there are so many different flavours of work diary out there now with uh, different suppliers operating different platforms. How is the NHVR going with amalgamating all that? It seems to me like the SCOs would have a hard time trying to keep up with some of that. It is a bit challenging, Mike. We set a series of what we would call technical and, I guess, legal standards for any private sector organisation to, to create an EWD, and we approve those EWDs. Mm. We're a massive fan of those, by the way, Mike. I just think it takes a lot of the risk of error out of a journey if the EWD is, you know, helping you work out, okay, where do I start, where do I finish, when do I do to have a break? We make sure that our staff are across EWDs, how to read them, et cetera. But you're right, Mike, as with, with more and more coming out, it's, it's challenging for staff to make sure they understand the different iterations of those. Yeah. My philosophy for our staff is to actually work with the drivers. So if the driver provides an EWD, it doesn't look right or it's not working right or our staff haven't seen it, to me, it's about a conversation with the driver. Yeah. And as opposed to automatically assuming there's something going wrong with the EWD or the driver's not using it properly. It's about a conversation. I can't stress enough how valuable a tool those EWDs are. We don't get the data. So we don't get sent the data by the provider unless you've been intercepted by one of our staff and you've shown them the, the device in compliance mode, which they read on the spot. We don't get any other data from those. And I know some drivers are worried that there's some big brother watching them if they get them. That's just not the case. It's a, it's a little bit difficult, I suppose, one of the objections that you get from the older guys you know, like myself who can actually run a paper logbook fairly efficiently. Yeah. And I mean, we have to be a little bit pragmatic. Sometimes you crib five minutes here and there to get to a rest area. I know, yeah. I, you know I'll put my hands out for the handcuffs now. <laughs> I've done it. The, the EWD, sometimes guys get a little bit concerned that they don't have that latitude. Now, I know we're sort of we're sort of heading off into the weeds with this bit of a conversation, but they worry that there's no reasonable steps defence or no latitude. It's there, you know, like computer says no, and that's the end of it. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, Mike, I, I think one thing that hasn't changed pre and post EWD is that our staff should be having a conversation. What we do, and it doesn't matter whether, whether it's, you know, Sal Petrosetto, our CEO, or myself, what we say to staff is we take an informed, educated, and forced approach, right? So inform means we tell everyone what they have to do. Educate means we show them how. And if there's a bigger challenge, we do the enforcement. But what I say to my staff is you should take whatever action you think is appropriate for the safety issue you're seeing at the point of interaction with a driver or an operator. If just say you're five minutes over because the rest area is five minutes up the road or was full of caravanners or something, you know, if you should be able to have a chat to one of our staff and they should either, you know, talk to you about it without pinging you. And again, I'm 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 hesitant a little bit there because if you've got a history of doing it, yeah. it might be a different outcome. Yeah. But our staff are pretty good, Mike. I got to tell you, I, I I go on the road a lot with our guys to watch how they interact with industry, and they're they're pretty good at actually taking an educative approach rather than bring the stick out every time. And I've seen drivers whose work diaries, to be honest, have been a bit of a shamozzle. But our staff will you know walk them through it, talk about the safety risks, and just see them on their way without giving them a blister. So. I don't think that's changed pre and post work, Dory Mike. I'd, I'd hope that my staff at the side of the road are looking at how big the safety risk is and then acting it, you know, accordingly. I personally have experienced no issues. We say that the, the attitude test no longer exists, but I'll tell you what, it's hard for your guys to maintain an even keel if someone comes out of the cab of a truck carrying on like a two-bob watch. They're just they're not doing themselves any favours, I don't think, doing that. No. <laughs> it uh, gets a bit hard to take. I suppose that's where these cameras come in. 
Yeah, it's an interesting one, Mike. The the body worn cameras I think you're talking about. Yeah. They're, look, they're they're a great device, I think, for both drivers and our staff because I, you know, I think it's a reminder about what's professional behavior. Because whether you're a professional driver or one of my staff, there's a you know, respecto both ways. I think the cameras help moderate more extreme forms of behavior. Yeah. The interaction's really important. I was at the side of the road in Victoria a couple of months ago. And a driver from a, a, a large operator was pulled over. His work diary was all over the place. And our staff member just started trying to talk to him about how to fill it out correctly. And the driver pulled out his phone and started playing around with his phone and looking at Facebook while my staff member was trying to tell him how to fill out his work diary correctly. Mm. You know, the staff member said to him, look, I'm trying to help you out here. I can give you a blister or I can actually show you how to fill your work diary out. You, you decide what you want to do. Yeah. And, you know, the driver put his phone away pretty quickly then when he heard the amount of the infringement. But, you know, it's... It's a two-way street. We wish to respect, we give respect, and we, we'd like to see the same in return. One of my listeners rang me up and said that he'd had uh, a not-fun experience with one of your guys at a place we won't talk about right now. And I, I said, oh, well, are you sure? I mean, are you sure that that's the way you explained it to me? And he said that it was. And I said, okay, fine. I said, well, I'll give you a phone number, which I did. And uh, that was investigated and got back to him. And I believe your guy ended up... Uh, not so much in trouble, but certainly getting it explained to him where he wasn't quite right. Yeah. And uh, it's a two-way street. The cameras being a, an educational tool goes both ways. And if it you does. keep a level head as a driver, follow things up appropriately, you might have a win. We recognise drivers are humans trying to do a job. My guys are the same. They're humans trying to do a job. And I think if humans can treat humans with respect and in the right way, I think, you know, it, everything, life goes smoother. So we're just going to head off for a quick break now. I've been talking with Mr. Paul Salvati, who's the Chief Operating Officer with the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator. We'll be right back after this word from NTI. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Well, welcome back. We're going to talk a little bit now about overheight trucks. Now, there's been a lot of action in New South Wales over the last, oh, I don't know, couple of months. We've seen plenty of footage on the news of guys going or looking like they're going to go into the tunnel. We've had the highway blocked uh, from the northbound side coming into the city of Sydney. We've had infrastructure written down, ripped down in the tunnels. We've had places in Melbourne. There was a fellow went in there with a backhoe not long ago and ripped down a heap mm. of lights and things like that. Overheight trucks and infrastructure uh, sometimes come together and everyone's getting a little bit miffed with it. Paul, yep. there's been a whole heap of guidelines put out by uh, NHVR about this now, and obviously some of these fines are starting to get a little bit serious. What do, what do you reckon, mate? What what are we got to do? What are we got to do to get the message across? And Mike, that's such a good question. Look, in, in New South Wales especially, they've got more bridges and tunnels with low clearances 
than any other state in Australia. And we're just seeing such an influx of overhyped trucks either trying to enter or entering. And, and like you'd know, right, if a, if a truck at speed hits a tunnel, brings that infrastructure, that there's a risk of safety for the driver, for any other light vehicles around it. So it's something we take pretty seriously and the New South Wales government takes pretty seriously. Yeah. I just, to be honest, we are working with the New South Wales government on all different ways to try and, I guess, as early as we can, alert drivers that they might be overheight to try and stop them from hitting the tunnel or, or causing an issue. But to me, a lot of it comes back to some simple things for drivers. I think it's around knowing your route, knowing your load, you know, making sure you, you, you check the height of your load, you know, um, making sure you understand the route you're on. A lot of these drivers don't, haven't driven that route before or they've got an unfamiliar load. So I think a lot of it's around just really knowing your load, knowing your route. I struggle with the idea that drivers end up in these situations uh, on purpose, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Mike, I'll give New South Wales government some credit in terms of the tunnels in New South Wales and the overhype incidents they're having. One of the things they're looking at is how can they give the drivers enough warning and enough exits off that path they don't get into that kind of trouble. That's not just you miss the one turn your toast. Yeah. There's a couple of opportunities to actually remove yourself from from that um, that situation. There are a lot of distractions driving along the along the highway these days. I mean, I. I drive in and out of Sydney a bit, for example, going down to uh, Botany. And, you know, I know the route where I need to go. I know the way intimately because, you know, I've done it over and over and over. Mm. But I see for guys that uh, might be coming into Sydney for the first time, they've, you know, they've never driven on the road. They're on the, on the uh, UM Highway and they come up onto the M5. Mm-hmm. There's that many exits, that many off-ramps, yeah. and that many bloody billboards it's hard to miss that little sign that says you're heading towards a restricted point or something like that. If you're a DG driver and you didn't know any better, yeah. there's yeah. nothing to tell you that it, you need to get off and go up Stony Creek Road. There's nothing to tell you that at all, anywhere along there. Mike, I think it comes back to what you said before. I think it's it's about that pre-planning because if your signs and warnings, they're, to be honest, they're the last minute warning. Yeah. You know, it's, the, it's what you talked about before, Mike, when you were driving, you, you, you try and plan your route out first yeah if because if, if you're relying on those signs to tell you you're, you're cutting it close that's that's the point that i'm really trying to get across i yeah. suppose you know, if you don't know plan the route ask guys mm. that have used the route before um just urge operators to you know know their freight know their height of their trucks plan your journey to comply with the road requirements and do the best you can with the rest area yeah, yeah. It's as simple as that. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's right. right. I know. So, well, it's, it's common sense. I mean, for me personally, I've been, I haven't done any overhyped stuff or over-dimensioned stuff for that long. It doesn't matter. I did drive a car carrier for a while and mm. uh, out of Brisbane up to uh, up to Cairns and, and far north Queensland. And there were a couple of bridges on the on the highway there that you had to, detour around if you're in a car carrier because we, we were getting up around yeah. the 4.95 meter mark mm. and uh unless you wanted to shave the roof off a car uh, yeah. you, you needed to know where you were going and i certainly before i was comfortable there i knew that i mean i knew about these things other guys had warned me about them mm. um, but obviously planning your route and knowing where you're going i think it's something that you've got to do in a semi-trailer anyway doesn't matter whether it's a b-double or a quad you've got to know where you're going and the, the right way to go so the rav maps they're available on the uh, nhpr website aren't they 
Yeah, they are. They are. And they're, they're pretty good in terms of showing, you know, restrictions on a road network and a proud, approved routes. It's pretty good. You can change the view. And I'm glad you talked about it, Mike, because I, I just think it's such a great tool for drivers who are pre-planning their route. There's always been a little bit of complaint earlier on that these things were a little bit hard to understand and they didn't quite cover everything. I think there's been some pretty big improvements in the last few months, mm. though, hasn't there? Yeah, I think there has, Mike. I, th I think what we're seeing is, given the influx of, of near misses and strikes and overhyped vehicles in New South Wales, between the New South Wales government and ourselves, have really upped the ante in trying to get as much information as we can out to industry just to you know, keep the drivers safe and, and keep the, the routes moving. In that part of the web page there, are there sort of templates or guides that drivers can access and assist with their mass dimension and loading requirements on different bits of road? There is, Mike, but I guess the main thing I'd say, if, you, if you're if you on it and, you, and you're not sure, mm. give us a call. That's that's the simplest thing, right? We've got a, a contact center that does pretty well. Uh, they'll, they're always there to answer your question. And if you're not sure, give us a call. And the number for that would be? Yep, that's 13NHVR or 136487. Just give it a call and they'll, they'll help you out. 136487. Perfect. Is that a 24-hour is is number, is it? It's 7am to 5pm at the moment, mainly because, Mike, we don't tend to get a lot of calls outside those hours. But again, if, if you're ever unsure, jump out something to us on social media. We monitor social media a lot more uh, across more hours than we do man the contact centre. But again, it's it's all about preparation. So while we're talking about things that are available, resources that are available to drivers, I know that there are times, you know, for me it's ancient history, but for guys today uh, where they may be getting encouraged to do things that aren't quite right, you know, colour outside the lines a little bit, they might want to have a bit of a chat to someone. Is there somewhere they can go, like a confidential a reporting system or somewhere they can go to get some advice on how to handle that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah, there is, Mike. We we run a heavy vehicle confidential reporting line, the yep. phone number, 1-800-931-785. It's on our website. That's a secure national confidential line for anyone to call to report safety issues around procedures, practices, or conditions. Every single call that we get, we assess. And we investigate the ones where we believe there's some corroborating evidence. We get a couple of different callers on it because we recognise, Mike, it's it's an industry where, you know, unfortunately, sometimes drivers don't feel like they have a choice mm. and they feel like they, you know, they're being forced or coerced to drive when they're tired or to speed or take a load they're not comfortable with. And, and that's what this line's about, to actually help us identify those who are putting people in harm's way so that we can then look at that and take appropriate action. So that was 1-800-931-785, our confidential reporting line. Well, I'd like to say to any of the young guys that are listening to this, young guys and girls, there are always older drivers around who mm. uh, you know, have been playing the game for a little while who will tell you the truth. And they'll say, they say mate, that, that's not right. You shouldn't be doing that or, or whatever. You know, I'd encourage you to go to them. And if there's not one of those, Ring that number. What was that number again, Paul? Yep, it was 1-800-931-785, the confidential reporting line. Get the help you need. Don't, just remember that at the end of the day, it's going to be your face that's on the news if you get it wrong. Just remember that. When do we actually need to get a permit? In terms of getting a permit, it depends on the kind of vehicle you are and the route you're on. Now, we're doing a lot of work, and Mike, you or your listeners may have heard this or seen us presenting before about some of the work we're doing 
in a portal to make it easier for operators and drivers to plan their routes. Yep. And that'll show them where permits require. But anytime you've got a restricted access vehicle and you're not operating on a route that's under a notice, a pretty good chance you'll need a permit. So in terms of how we're going with permits, like if I look back over the last few years, our turnaround time for permits is dropping all the time. Now we're growing in terms of permit numbers, unfortunately, you know, double digit percent every single year. And yet we've kept the timeframes for responsiveness on those permits or turnaround times is actually dropping every year. So I accept that it's still, you know, it takes longer than I'd like. I guess I'd say, you know, we, we're doing the best we can from our side. As you realize, Mike, we do a lot of work with the local governments and state governments around their route. Those agencies who run run the roads, they can take a while to understand the vehicle, understand the route. But um, if ever, you know, we get contacted by someone who's waiting for the permit, we're more than happy to ring the local government or state government and chase it up for them as well. Well, that's good to know. I suppose it's important to understand, though, there's like there's 475 road managers, 91,700 prime movers registered in the country, I believe. 814,000 registered heavy vehicles and over 230,000 registered operators. Not everyone's going to be all on the same page and some people are going to require more assistance than others. How long is it going to be really before we're a single point of interaction that's going to allow us to get issues sorted out and borderless operation? That's, That's the question I suppose most people want to know. When are we going to have that? Part of it comes down to the H4L review, Mike. You know, um... As you know, each even though we've got one heavy vehicle national law, each of the states have slight variations in it. You know, we work with the states and they work with us on trying to identify those variations and harmonise them where we can. When we do talk to those different 475 road managers, they're, they're pretty good at working with us to keep industry moving. I know from the conversations that I've had with uh, yourself and Sal and, and others in the past, and I've actually said a couple of times, uh, everyone's it's an unpleasant sandwich and we all have to take a bite um, <laughs> the NTC doesn't doesn't do us any favors I don't think is there a light at the end of the tunnel mate I mean are we going to actually get to the point where we're all on the same page do you think I hope so Mike I, I really do I yeah. look I think the the HVNL and HVL are brought in as part of a harmonization you know lift to try and prevent some of these different rules and regulations across the states because they're costing, you know, productivity for industry. We were brought in, HVNL was brought in to try and address that. I'd love to see this journey reach its natural conclusion where we get full harmonisation. So I I really hope so, Mike. I do accept what you're saying. You know, there's a lot of stakeholders with different perspectives and different needs. And I, I do feel for the NTC sometimes in trying to navigate a route forward that you know most people can accept but um gosh i hope mike will get there one day uh that's about it mate i think we've we've covered all the the ground i know i've certainly been a little bit better informed and it's been lovely to talk to you and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance down the track thanks very much mike uh, lovely to be on the show have you ever come up behind a caravan wearing a big green sticker that says i'm truck friendly it's simply telling you that the driver you're following is a part of a growing safety-minded community of caravanners who actually want to help other road users, have a good understanding of safe towing practices and have a UHF radio switched on and ready to communicate. 
If you too want to be a part of the solution and not the problem, find out more about the great truck-friendly caravan road safety program by visiting their Facebook page or website at www.truckfriendly.com.au. G'day, it's Andy here with the next instalment in our homegrown Aussie Music Artists feature series. In this episode, I've got something special for those of us who like a liberal dose of gritty rock mixed in with our country music. Our guest this week is a country rock powerhouse, a grand finalist in the 2020 Toyota Star Maker Quest at Tamworth, has had a number one on the iTunes country charts and has gone on since to show us that kick-ass rock does have a place in Australian country music, gathering a legion of fans as he supported Aussie rock icons like Dragon, Mental as Anything and the Wolf Brothers to name a few. Affectionately known by some as the tattooed troubadour, he's a big bloke with a big voice and he'd look just as much at home behind the wheel of a Kenworth hauling logs as he does behind a guitar and microphone on stage. His debut album is set for release a little later in the year and he's just released the first single track from the album, an anthemic stadium-style rocker that celebrates the genuineness of small-town romance called Loved You Right. We're going to be hearing a lot more from this bloke in the future, I guarantee it, and I managed to get some time with him this week to chat about his unique sound, his new single, and the album on the way, so let's get to it. Here's the chat I had with the incredibly gifted Jared Taylor. Jared, welcome to On The Road. Ah, oh, cheers for having me, mate. I'm not a big one on judging books by the covers, but when I first opened the email that was sent to me to introduce you, I saw your photo and thought, okay, why is someone sending me stuff on some big tattooed truckie? I do the music interviews. <laughs> <laughs> then I watched a couple of your videos with the image and your unique sound. It certainly works as a great package. I don't want to stereotype you here, but just out of interest, have you ever done any truck driving or ridden a Harley maybe? <laughs> My dad's the truck driver. I've loaded and unloaded and worked in the freight industry and done all that. But unfortunately, the biggest thing I've driven is a trailer and a bunch of music gear on it. Yeah, yeah. Now, a bit of background. When did you realize that writing and performing music was what you wanted to do with your life and what or who inspired you to get started in the first place? Well, I kind of just started in high school. Dad brought home a drum kit. He used to work in clubs as a publican. And I used to book all the bands there. And then one of the, the drummers there said, hey, mate, I've got a drum kit for sale if you want it. You could put it at the pub. And Dad brought it home. Yeah. And I kind of jumped on the kit. And uh, unfortunately, at my high school, there were three amazingly talented drummers. Okay. So uh, the, all the drumming spots were all taken. So I grabbed a guitar and started playing and then just sort of dived in. I started writing some tunes. And all of a sudden, it was the be all and end all. That's all I wanted to do. And then... After a couple of years of working my guts out and then also playing gigs on the weekends, I realized I could just do music full-time. Mm. Turns out now it's my full-time gig for the last, uh, you know, eight or nine years. Yeah. Well, at the risk of doing a corny drummer's joke, thank goodness that you decided not to play the drums and become a musician instead. Mate, unfortunately, I'm a multi-instrumentalist <laughs> and whenever one of my one of my band members can't make it, I have to swap instruments. So I have had to uh, front man on the drums a few times. I know that feeling. They always pull out the level to make sure my drool's coming out both sides, unfortunately. <laughs> so you got four legs on the drummer's throne. I've heard all the jokes before. Yeah. So now I beat all the musos to the punch. Yeah, good. As you should. Now, Jared, listening to your songs, they've got such a richness and a musical maturity to them that I was honestly expecting to read that you already had a bunch of albums under your belt, not that you're aiming up to launch a debut album later in the year. Without giving too much away, what can we expect from the album when it hits? 
well, it's going to be uh, something that if you love 80s rock yep. or like melodic country or new pop country or something like that, it's going to have something for everyone on there. It's going to have drinking songs, breakup songs, love songs. It's going to have all the best stuff you can expect from country. Yep. But I'm a big 80s rock fan, so I love to take the big drums, stadium drums and guitars and whack them in there and kind of make it sound as big as possible so everyone can kind of enjoy it. Cool. As uh, an old fellow told me not too long ago, he said, country music nowadays, mate, it's just the 80s with a banjo jabbed in there. Pretty much, yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully, if not on this album, maybe the next will get you to put a trucking song in there, then you'll have the full set, you know. Yeah. Well, hold on one sec, mate. You're right. Is there any possibility we can reschedule? I've just got two screaming babies. Yeah, no, that's cool. We can do that. I thought that'd be a lot better behaved. That's all good. Not a problem. You attend to them. That's more important. We can take up where we left off and make a part two to it. No worries. Thank you so much. for Safe travels. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Well, that's just the way these things work out sometimes. So we'll be back with Jared to continue the rest of our interview recorded sometime later. Don't seem so bright, the small town boy. You know he loves you right Yeah Oh yeah well, Jared, g'day, welcome back to part two of our interview <laughs> Part two indeed, at least there's no distractions this time Yeah, well it's a bit of fun, I've not recorded an interview this way before So we're always trying to do something new and interesting, so this is it A little bit fresh and exciting for the listeners well, mate, we'd just gotten through talking about the album before and we were right onto that point of asking about the new single. So here we go. It's just released, Loved You Right. Yeah. I believe it's the first track to be drawn from the coming album. Uh, yeah. Interesting to have a, a breakup song written and so convincingly recorded by a happily married bloke. You know, I think that all the bloody time, to be honest. <laughs> I seem to have a knack for smashing out the old breakup song and it's just something that I have a skill for, I guess, but... You know, I've had my fair share of breakups in the past, so I've got something to draw off. Yeah. I was going to say, how did the song come about? What inspired you in the writing of it? To be honest, nothing too personal for me. I kind of just wanted to write a, a bit of a breakup song that everyone could kind of relate to. Yeah. Like spread the story across multiple instances rather than to write a song that, you know, this is what happened to me and it's sort of to try and make it more of a varied, wide thing that everyone can enjoy or relate to. That broad appeal, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, there wouldn't be too many people on the planet, I think, that haven't gone through a breakup at some stage, so everyone's always going to relate to it. Yeah, no, 100%. Actually, I do have one friend who hasn't been through a breakup yet. He's still with the first girl he ever met. and ah, So he's the unicorn we hear of. He, he is the unicorn <laughs> indeed, but they've been married five years, been together since they were 14, so... Oh, good on them. At least, you know, someone can get through it. Yeah, yeah, well, inspirational. Now, we're pretty much halfway through the year, mate. I know you have the album released to come a bit later. What else have you got planned for the rest of 2023? The rest of 2023 is a lot of hard work and rehearsal. Right. So what we want to sort of get in and get done is just to learn that album back to front. Yep. Build like a great show that people, when they come to see us, they're going to get knocked off their feet. Yeah, yeah. Something to, uh, you know, pretty much bring them that big stadium rock sound. Fantastic. But, you know, that's going to take a little bit of time with the guys and getting the show right. So we uh, just started booking everything for January. Right. And I, I, as I said that now, I realized that we've actually uh, booked in on the 5th of August. We're down at the uh, Regal Hotel in Maitland okay. doing a honky-tonk night. So right. I've said that and now we're booked in a show for August. Right. So we're meant to be rehearsing, but, you know, going out and jamming on some honky-tonk nights and having a bit of fun, sometimes we can't say no to that. Uh, mate, I, I always thought gigs were the best rehearsals anyway, or gig as I call them. 
that's what I've done for the last 10 years. I'll send out a list of songs and some yep. charts and say, hey, guys, I'll see you on the day. And the first gig was always a bit of a nail-biter for me, but the boys always absolutely smashed it. Yeah. Then yeah. I became kind of accustomed to doing it that way. Yeah. Now we're going to do things a little bit more organized and, what do you call it, professionally. Professional, yes. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Organized and professional. Now that we're doing that, we really want to get in there and build a show and have these little moments that we know what's coming up. Yep. Yeah. Set the place on fire. Yes. Actually, there is a track on the album that is written by me, but all the music was done by Jeremy Barnes from Casey Barnes Band. Yeah, yeah. And he said that this track's going to set people on fire and melt their faces. Oh, and I went, awesome. awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. going to be fun. And he goes, yep, this is the one. Yeah, can't wait to hear it. So I expect you'll have a, a pretty big launch in mind for that, for the album. Uh, Tamworth Country Music Festival, the whole thing. Ah, excellent. Yeah. Well, if you're going to do it, that's the place to do it, that's for sure. Ten days of uh, intense country music jammage, as they call it. Jammage, yeah. <laughs> Mate, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be a lot of our listeners who are going to want to know more about you after they hear the interview and your music today. Where can they go to get all the news and info about you? They can check it out on Facebook and Instagram. So it's Jared Taylor Music on Facebook, spelt J-A-R-R-E-D. And Jared Taylor Official on uh, Instagram is where they can get all of the info of where they can find me. All my music and stuff is just Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, all that sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah. you can whack on a playlist in the, the truck and cruise on and there's enough music on there to keep you going. And do it, guys, too. I guarantee you're going to love it. Our special guest this week and the previous week has been Jared Taylor. Jared, I love what you're doing, mate. I'm a big fan and really appreciate you finding the time to come and play on the road with us twice now. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's the benefits of technology, mate. We can make it all work. Stitch it together, that's it. Yes. Before we finish up, buddy, can I ask you please to introduce your new single for us? I'm Jared Taylor, and you're about to hear Loved You Right. In the beginning, it used to be so sweet Holding hands, making plans, phone calls before sleep Said we're gonna take on the world and Always called her my special girl My number one, my forever, yeah Inseparable, always together there She got an offer for a job in the city Said she'd find a way to still see me Now I'm seeing your picture in all these magazines You forgot about me New man on your arm Designer brands, city life, don't you come on the TV, your smile ain't what it used to be. City lights don't seem so bright. The small town boy, you know he loved you right. All happened just so damn quick that my heart didn't have a chance to break. My friends kept checking in to make sure that I was okay. Small towns, new travels fast and out forever just didn't last. She moved on, but she didn't tell me. Had to come across it in my newsfeed. Now I'm seeing your picture in all these magazines. You forgot about me. New men on your arm, designer brands, city life, dodgy country charm. When I see your face on the TV, your smile ain't what it used to be. You know he loved you right Yeah Oh yeah 
just don't understand what it's like to be alone. Won't find me waiting by no telephone. Now you see in my picture in all these magazines. Forget about me. New girl. Life can be tough and these last few years have shown that sometimes a little extra help can go a long way. Health in Gear is brought to you by the OzHelp Foundation and we're here to support the drivers and workers in the transport and logistics industry, bringing you roadside health checks and free support and counselling for workers and their families through the 24-7 phone line 1-800-IN-GEAR. Remember, you don't have to face the road ahead alone. Health in Gear are here for the long haul, supporting your mental health and preventing suicide across Australia. Check out healthingear.com.au. Here on the road, it's time for the news. G'day, Mike. Another beautiful day in paradise. It absolutely is glorious uh, down here. The sun's got a little bit of warmth in it, mate. We're heading towards the warmer seasons. I'm looking forward to it. It's been cold. Uh, well, the hottest one on record, they reckon, is coming. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. Today. Unlike every other year when they say we're about to have the hottest summer on record. Yeah. No, well, yeah. yeah been having hot summers ever since I was a kid, mate. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway. That's why they call them summer, I think. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Anyway. Australia, mate. What do they call it? Deserts and flooding rains or something. You had that poem oh, going? yeah. The old sunburned country. Yeah. I don't I don't remember how it goes. We did learn it at school. Sunburned. Yeah. I love a sunburned country, a land of sweeping plains, of rugged mountain ranges, of droughts and flooding rains. Jesus Christ, dude. Now you're showing me up. I'm just amazed that I can't remember my own name half the time, let alone that. Anyway. I don't remember why you walked into the room, but you can remember that. Uh, <laughs> so what news are we not talking about this week? Oh, look, there's all sorts of news we're not talking about this week, mate. The uh, uh, There's more stuff on this electric on electric trucks and technology mm-hmm. and, and you know, that, that, that sort of thing. Transport Workers Union are up in arms about uh, another... Uh, gig uh, motorbike rider uh, losing his life at work. And look, I don't want to play down that. I mean, it's unfortunate anything happens. But yep. uh, we are losing guys driving trucks all the time and, and it's just, it's and driving cars, driving is part of their work. And it's, you know, it's a little bit too much. Um, yep. Oh, Brown and Hurley CEO is about to retire. We're going to talk about that. Okay. It's, uh, well, look, all sorts of things. Kenworth Australia are partners with the supercars. Well, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. righto. That's a, there's a few bloody case studies and things. Isuzu are charging into the future. Ben's electric for Sydney Wake. Wait, no, too much stuff we're not going to talk about, mate. If you want to go out and have a look at social media and you know, if you want to find some stuff to not talk about, feel free. Let's talk about the important stuff, mate. Yeah, well, there's a bit of a theme running through the, the news this week. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about tech on here. 
And the tech being used on our roads these days for driving misdemeanor detection. One of our listeners actually sent us an email telling us about his experiences as a warning to other drivers. Dave, we'll call him Dave. If we use his real name, they'll probably know who it is. But Dave is a local delivery driver who covers the same route pretty much every day. And he told us about a speed camera set up on one of the suburban streets he travels along each day. Yep. Now, the first time he went past, he was doing around about 40k in what was clearly marked as a 50k street. And he noticed that the camera flashed as he went past. So he checked his yeah. speedo, and sure enough, he was sitting on about 45k. So he decided to do a loop around the block and check it again. This time yeah. he went past at 30k. Sure enough, yeah. flash. Flashed again, yeah. Right. So to make yeah. sure he could prove a point in the future when it was going to come to that, he looped back and passed the camera three more times at 20k, 10k and 5k, making sure he got footage on his phone of the camera and his speedo. A week later, he got seven tickets in the mail. Not wearing his seatbelt. Five belt. for not wearing his seatbelt and two for using a mobile phone whilst driving. <laughs> oh, don't be like Dave. Let that be a lesson <laughs> to all of us. Yeah. Don't be like Dave. Mike, the New South Wales government has come down hard on six transport businesses and one owner-operator for breaching overheight regulations in Sydney tunnels. They have uh, they've started suspending people's registrations. Now, uh, we've had a bit of a chat there today with um, Paul Salvati about the NHVR's position on all this and uh, quite clearly what's going on there. NHVR have just got to pass all these... Uh, infringements that they get or those notifications that they get onto the state government for assessment. New South Wales uh, losing their sense of humour when it comes to these overheight breaches and the main reason why they're losing their sense of humour about it is because the general public are fed up with it. Yeah. Um, we, we've had a, a long conversation about trying to get these guys opportunities to get off motorways and things like that before they, uh, they cause traffic blockages. And for me, look, if a guy drives down towards one of these things and sets the hide alarm off and then stops, I honestly don't understand how he gets an infringement for that mm. because he hasn't actually entered the tunnel, mm. right? So he's been warned, don't enter the tunnel. He's pulled over into the safe area to uh, stop and reassess his position. He hasn't actually committed an offence yet. I don't understand how they're using that to, as the creation of an offence. Well, they're saying it's all about the delays it causes and everything else. Well, that's on the government. Mm. If they can't give you a suitable place to get off or if they can't give you a suitable place to pull over safely after you've set off that height detection equipment and that causes a blockage in the traffic, that's not the truck driver's fault. He's done what he should do. Now, admittedly, you can argue the case that he shouldn't have been there mm. in the first place with the overheight load. You can talk about that. But the fact is he hasn't actually got into the tunnel and that's what all those overheight warnings are about. And I honestly think sometimes some of these people can't see the wood for the trees. You yep. know? If you go into the tunnel and you're overheight, even after you've set that thing off, yep, crucify them. Send them, to, you know, send them to purgatory, put them in the stocks in Martin Place and let people throw rotten fruit at them. I don't care. You know, If you've done that, if you're stupid enough to do it, then you deserve everything you get. But if you obey the signs, if you go there and you genuinely believe, if you know, if if you're in a 4.3 metre van or something like that, you genuinely believe you're going to clear the tunnel, and for some reason, some piece of aluminium strips come loose and sticking up and sets the laser mm. off. 
uh, you've pulled up and you've done the right thing. You're trying to find out what's going on. You haven't committed an offence in my eyes. And I struggle to understand how any of this happens. But they've suspended another lot of um, guys' registrations. They've named a few of them now. As of uh, July 14, there are six companies and one owner-operator whose vehicles have breached the high-clearance rules and result, this resulted in stopped traffic. So they've served them with registration suspensions mm, yeah. as part of the zero-tolerance approach to overheight incidents. BG Drilling has been issued with a suspension notice for an incident on June 16. Truck registered the company's uh, hit sprinklers in the airport tunnel, activating the deluge system. They deserve to be punished. No argument. Right. Abaspec services will be without a truck after an incident on June, June 29 when its truck fitted with a self-loading container arm hit the physical barrier. They deserve a suspension. Yep. Yeah, no problem. I don't have any problem with that. The uh, the guy with a 4.3 metre tall line, though, <laughs> who got his lot registration suspended, I do have a problem with that. Yeah. You know, um, Registration suspensions are one way that they're trying to impress upon the trucking industry how serious they are about these things. Sydney traffic can be brought to its knees by an incident. Well, I'm sorry, but that's on the bloody engineers that designed the roads. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the the number of cars going up, is it's always going up. It doesn't take very much at all to bring Sydney traffic to its knees. Let's have a look at the M7 motorway. There doesn't have to be an incident on that, and yet you can set your bloody watch by traffic being brought to its knees in Sydney. Yeah. Blame on one truck. It's just beyond the pale, in my view. No, anyway. Grounding a truck for six months, that's pretty serious stuff. That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. It's enough to send some people to the wall. It'll be enough to make some people leave the state and not come back. I wonder if the bloke who set off the sprinkler system it would have any comeback by saying he thought it was a truck wash. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. No. I, think you're, I think you're done. I think you're done by the time you get to that point. Yeah. Well, meanwhile in Victoria, a fine of nearly 10 grand has been issued to a transport company after a truck lost its load on the Tullamarine Freeway. Yeah, I've got a photo in front of me of that from the Channel 9 News uh, helicopter, I suppose it would be. What a mess. It's unbelievable how much mess such a small amount of waste dirt can make Mm. uh, and how long it can bugger the traffic up for. And of course... When we think about traffic in our capital cities, it doesn't matter whether it's day or night. Once you create a problem that takes a little while to clean up, you've got a traffic issue. Melbourne traffic being brought to its knees by 1.2 tonnes of waste construction soil. So they had to close lanes off. AB haulage has been fined over the incident. The EPA are unimpressed. They get about 150 calls a year. Uh, 2022 is 150 calls to assist with road-related spills, but that's mostly related to uh, escaping fuel. Mm. Quote the EPA, they say transport is a professional industry and the EPA requires operators and drivers to be prepared. Loads should be secured and there should be spill kits in case of emergency must be carried at all times. Mm. If you're uh, carrying EPA uh, waste, you have to have certain pieces of equipment. It changes depending on what you're carrying. Um, for me, for example, with chemicals, we've got to have fire extinguishers and breathing apparatus and, and all sorts of things, as well as all the information that you need to provide to the emergency services in the event of something going wrong. Yeah. Uh, looks to me like this was just a bin that was on the back of a trailer and it's just sort of fallen off and you know spread all over the place. And of course, then everyone's dutifully driven through it and 
you know, you can't imagine how long it would take to uh, to clean that up. But who knows what was in the soil? Why is it why is it contaminated waste that's under EPA control? I'd, I'd have to wonder about that. Yeah, well, maybe you know, spreading a bit of topsoil over your lawn's a good thing for it. Freeway's going to come back looking bigger and better than ever. <laughs> a bit of grass growing yeah, down the side of it. Give it a good watering in. And... Uh, uh, the way the road verges are maintained in Victoria, mate, I wouldn't be bloody surprised. They wouldn't have anyone to mow it, that's for sure. <laughs> True. Anyway. Mike, the BP servo in Truganina in Melbourne has started towing away trucks that have been parked at the site, overstaying the eight-hour parking restrictions. Hallelujah. Hmm. Hallelujah. That's all we can say. Hmm. I mean, we've been talking about this sort of thing for ages. Metropolitan truck parking for interstate operators is at a premium. We find ourselves in the situation where there are certain of those amongst us in the industry who just take the piss. Every opportunity they can get, yep. they will They will do it. You've only got to look at the BP in Eastern Creek and the BP in Cooper Street in, in Epping, Trugnanina, any of these places, Archerfield. We get certain of those amongst us who think it's okay to leave their truck there, their little rigid truck there or whatever it is, take their car in, you know, save the spot with their car, mm. go off and do their work, and they don't have a depot to call their own. Yep. You know, they just they just take advantage and, and they use what's free. And they very often hardly even buy anything in the shop there. So it's not as if the shops are getting anything out of it either. Really find it disturbing on a personal level the amount of people that are willing to just screw people to save themselves a few bucks. Now, on the one in Brisbane, I was talking to a bloke named Charlie who's just started a thing in Wacall. Was it park yourself or go park yourself or something? Have a look at it on Facebook. Go park yourself. Right. He's wanting like 120 or 150 bucks a week to rent a truck parking space. So these cretins can't even do that. Yeah. You know, in fact, when I had a chat to him about it, he was saying that people are just complaining that that's, oh, that's too much, mate. That's too expensive. 150 bucks a week to park your truck is too expensive. Can you believe it? It's cheaper than the fines if they park it in the street somewhere. Well, it's also cheaper than if someone comes along and graffitis the side of your trailer. Yeah, well, there's that. You know, or sticks a bloody screwdriver through your tyre. To be fair, though, probably some of these guys think that BP stands for bonus parking. Yeah, you'd think. Well, yeah. <laughs> mate, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> one bloke said his response was, it took you long enough. <laughs> uh, some vehicles, inclu including trucks, have been left in rest areas for extended periods, in some cases weeks at a time. Uh, one of the spokesmen said. To quote others there, it's critical that all truck drivers have access to parking in their compulsory rest periods. The areas across the site with parking restrictions are clearly limited, clearly signed. BP asks its drivers have shown the respect that they deserve by allowing them to access those areas. Well, respect is one of those things that's short in this industry sometimes. Yep. And, uh, you know, I've heard people blaming those come over from the subcontinent by their cheap trucks and do all this. I've heard them blaming them for the, them for the problem. It's not them exclusively, okay? Yeah. You know, we all have uh, members of our various groups who are doing the same thing. I'm sick of hearing it's all the Indians' fault. It's not. Yeah. Everyone's got to have a bite. As I've said, a bite of the unpleasant sandwich, and sometimes we've all got to take a bite. Guys complaining that every time they go to Melbourne, they've got to find somewhere in a rest area uh, they can't find somewhere in a rest area. They've got to park in side streets. 
you know, dump trucks and trailers. Policing the parking more frequently is a great start. And personally, if you get your truck towed because you've left it somewhere and you've got to pay 600 bucks to get it out of the salvage yard or whatever it is, too bloody bad. You're not mm. going to hear me saying, sorry, mate. And for those of you who do use the BPs, just go inside, tell the console operator who you are, where you're from, and uh, you know, you're there for a, a, a seven-hour break or whatever you're there for, you won't have a problem. Yep. You know, Don't take the mickey. We'll end up with a situation here. I can see it coming. We're going to end up with a situation in our, in our uh, roadhouses because of the limited size of them where people are going to pay for parking spaces. Right? And, and they're going to be reserved parking spaces. And that can happen. Mm. In fact, sometimes I think it should happen. The transport industry get too much for free. We're used to just going and using showers and doing all that stuff and getting it for free. Then we whinge like children if it's not clean. Right? There are a certain amount of pigs in the industry. We know that. Mm. Um, it's about time. These things don't happen for free. The parking areas don't happen for free. The showers don't happen for free. They don't. Companies that supply the fuel and supply these roadhouses for us to use should have a reasonable expectation that their property is going to be used in an appropriate manner and they have a reasonable expectation that perhaps you know they're in business, they might like to make a few bucks out of it and they don't want to clean up crap around the rest areas and in the showers and things that are left behind by pigs. Fair enough. So my view is if you go and use the facilities, go and buy something in the shop, buy your fuel there. Do something. Mm. Otherwise, we end up with this. You know that in the UK, mate, they'll pay 20 pounds, pounds, like 40 bucks to park in the service area. Yeah. It's going to happen. And if you're up in up in uh, Brisbane and you're looking for somewhere to park your truck around Waco, go and have a chat with Charlie at Go Park Yourself. 120 bucks a week, cheap, money well spent in my opinion. Makes perfect sense indeed. As you said, it is all about respect. And as the old song goes, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's it. Just ain't what it used to be. That's right. Well, still on the subject of Queensland, the $82 million Yatala South Interchange on the M1 between Brisbane and the Gold Coast has been completed and expected to improve the flow of traffic for the 130,000 vehicles that use this stretch of the M1 every day. How long have we been doing that for, mate? How long have we been waiting for that to be finished? Um, As long as I can remember. (laughs) I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember there not being any roadworks anywhere through there. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. Just seems as though it's got better and better. Well, it's finished apparently. It's finished apparently. So done and dusted. Done and dusted. I wonder if they've taken away all the barriers and that yet. I wonder if they've put the topsoil down yet. <laughs> <laughs> Did the job right. Oh, dear, oh, dear. They're committed uh, to keeping Queensland moving by investing in critical infrastructure projects like this across the state. Two of the three M1 interchange upgrades are now complete. Uh, Federal Minister for uh, Infrastructure, Transport, Regional Development and Local Government, Catherine King, was up there and sort of made that announcement. And look, isn't it lovely when the incoming government can take credit for what the previous government funded? But anyway, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure that that'll. I'm sure that'll be uh, be returned when the other side take charge as well. So they're very good at it. Uh, very nice to go and cut the ribbons on things. Uh, they look forward to celebrating the completion of the third M1 interchange at uh, Pimpama next year. Is that right? Is that the pronouncing? Pimpama. Is that how you pronounce? Pimpama. Pimpama. Yeah. Pimpama next year. 
$82 million they spent on the Yatla South Exit 41 safety project, and that was jointly funded by the Australian and Queensland governments on a 50-50 basis. So, well done. I don't, I don't really care how much it costs to build. I mean, if you consider how much we pay in fuel excise and bloody road taxes and registration, $82 million is a drop in the bucket. Yep. I'd like to see where the rest of it goes. Get her done. Get her done. Mm. It's stolen from Larry the Cable Guy. Sorry, don't sue me, Larry. <laughs> Mike, last and by no means least, trials are set to be underway at a busy intersection in Victoria where some clever new technology called MaxSafe will be tested with a view to improving visibility for heavy vehicle drivers in blind spots. Yeah, Max Safe. Why do these guys want to try and reinvent the wheel all the time? I don't understand it. Mm. There's already a system out there in place that you can just put on every truck for about 900 bucks that any half-competent auto electrician can put on. We can have it on every truck because it's a risk to every truck all over the place all the time, mm. not just in this little project. Now, I'm not opposed to technology. Everyone knows that. I'm more than happy to... Uh, Talk about technology. You get, I mean, this Max Safe thing they've fitted up to a couple of trucks that are going to be working on this particular road project, and it's going to flash some lights and sound some alarms inside the cab, and maybe sound some alarms outside the truck as well, and warn people there are a heap of school kids and all that. Here's a couple of things: if the driver's driving around and paying attention to what he's doing, and he's got some technology to help him out, hmm. then he really shouldn't have any problems at all. Pedestrians need to have a look out of what's going on around them rather than burying their bloody head in the mobile phone and walking along, as some kids are prone to do. Oh, yeah. And let's people take responsibility for what you, in fact, personally are responsible for. That's the first thing. We can't live in cotton wool for our whole lives, and you can't save the stupid. It's as simple as that, in my, in my view. Just a question to throw in there, though. Yeah. Are we going to end up with so many lights and buzzers and things in the cab that by the time you figure out which one it is... <laughs> It's happened. Well, there's, there's, that's not an unfair unfair um, characterisation either. Mm. Anyway, would you like to know what it is that you can put in your truck for 900 bucks? Tell me. This is an unadulterated plug for a product I, I know that works and, and I'm very, very happy. Hmm. And this is you know, unsponsored. This is not cash for comment. There's a system you can buy called Spoto. Oh, Yes. Right, we yep. talked. I talked to Clive. I interviewed Clive about it ages ago. It's been around for a long time. Basically, what Spoto is is a little black box that you mount on the side of the truck. It's got a little radar thing in it, and it sends a signal out around the side of the truck. There's a a little warning light that's up on the A pillar, and it flashes if there's anything in the in the radar reception zone. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you put your indicator on, it will tell you if there's something beside your truck or not. Right? Yep. Covers a huge area down the side of the truck. 900 bucks. Any competent auto electrician can install it. You can install it yourself. And everything that you need to install, it's in the kit that you buy. About 900 bucks somewhere. Don't quote me, but it's about there somewhere, right? I remember back in the days, though, Mike, when Spoto was something that when you're on a long trip in the car with the kids, they'd yell out if they saw a VW Beetle. That's right. Spoto. Spoto. That's right. You play that with the kids in the car. I remember it too. Hmm. Anyway, if you're interested in finding some technology that's going to protect you in places apart from this Mickleham Road bit of construction, no matter where you are, it will sort of won't give you a hundred percent guarantee of protection, but it'll give the driver some sort of warning. 
Go to Spoto Radar. Have a look at the thing there. There's a phone number. All the contact information is there. And look, if you do, tell them you heard about it here. Tell Clive that you heard about it from us. Yeah. All right? We're not going to get anything for that, but I would just like Clive to know that there are people out there talking about his technology. The other thing about this, I don't want to poo-poo this, what these guys are doing. Anything that saves lives is great, but we don't need to reinvent the wheel all the time. That's we it. We really don't. That's it. Anyway, there you go. That's that's that one. There was another thing I was going to talk about too, and I just can't recall what that was. Happens at our age. I yeah, uh, I've got a mem. I've got a memory like a sieve. Something. Oh yes, I remember. <laughs> Not really breaking news though. Welcome back. <laughs> this time, this time, next week. Hmm. Uh, and I say this time next week because we're recording this on a on the Saturday before it comes onto the show on Monday. So next Saturday, yeah, next Saturday we will be at the Casino Truck Show uh, launching Truck and Life magazine. Yes. And uh, so we won't be about to uh, record the news, you or I, next week. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to have a special music show for Monday week. Yeah. Now, Andy, you're, you're going to put together a bit of a music show of some of the stuff. That, I'm going to yeah. rattle up a bit of a special. We, we normally only do that for Christmas as our yeah. Christmas gift. But, you know, yesterday my wife had all her mates over for her Christmas in July lunch right. party. Yep. So yep. we'll call it Christmas in July. But, yeah, we'll do a, a bit of a music feature next week. Lots of music, bit of an interview with someone really, really, really interesting in the Aussie yeah. music scene. and. Make sure you've got something good to listen to next week while the boys are all flat out busy at the casino truck show. So it's going to be Christmas in August actually now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Technically. Pedantic bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Righto, mate. Thought for the week. What have you got for me? Well, with all the talk about technology this week, I thought this quote was quite appropriate. Yep. And it is quite simply, technology is a useful servant, but a dangerous master. Certainly is. Hmm. Some. People don't understand that. It's a very, very simple idea, isn't it? It is. Righto, mate. That'll do us. Well, you have a good one, and we'll uh, we'll be excited to hear all the news when you get back from Casino. Yeah, well, Wednesday night, next Wednesday night on Facebook and on the live show, we'll be unboxing the first 10 Truck and Life magazines live on Facebook. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll be getting to have a look at that. I'm hoping that the printer... Sorry? Is mine in the mail yet? It should have gone in the mail yesterday. Oh, cool. Looking forward to it. It should have gone in the mail yesterday. Mm. So they're all mailed out. And for those who keep asking, yes, it is printed in Australia, in Melbourne. Okay. Mm. We don't have uh, we don't have anything. And if you've been watching us on Facebook, you'd have seen it rolling off the printer and rolling down the production line and going into the boxes and all the rest of it. So, well, I've yeah. cleared space on the wall in the studio for the posters. So. Have you? I'm excited. I'm excited too, mate. I've actually seen it. I actually haven't seen a physical copy yet. Can you believe it? Hmm. Haven't seen the physical copy, but uh, it, uh, I think some of the some of the readers will have a physical copy in their hand before I do, which is which is uh, a funny thing to consider. But, but I have read the articles, so we're all good. Good. It's good to know. <laughs> good to know that the editors read the articles. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, would. All right, but. Thanks, mate. Talk to you soon. See you. Bye.
Kermy here from Trucking with Kermy. I listen to On The Road podcasts every week. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermy on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you. Hi there, this is Bob McMillan. On uh, Saturday coming from uh, this broadcast, it will be a pretty momentous day for a number of reasons. Um, the Casino Truck Show is happening and uh, Mike's been saying that it's the uh, biggest working truck show in the Southern Hemisphere. I have no reason to doubt that. Unfortunately, I won't be there. Um, I've got some other issues to deal with. But uh, the biggest uh, news of all for me anyway is that uh, it's the official relaunch of Trucking Life. And uh, as I've said before, I'm privileged to be part of all that, having been invited to write again and um, be humbled by the uh, the invitation as I uh, sometimes don't realise or don't understand just um, how much of an impact you can make just by uh, speaking your mind and signing your name to it. But anyway, that's beside the point. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm wishing... Mike, Craig and Yogi well with their endeavours. Um, they've certainly made a, uh, a big difference to uh, information getting out there for us all to understand and think about and hopefully comment about. I'll be more about that in a minute. But anyway, I'm wishing everyone well at the Casino Truck Show. I would love to be there and I'm looking forward to hearing all the reports and seeing Yogi's videos on the uh, truck and life and, and his uh, uh, Kendall Trucking & Co uh, Facebook page and wherever else he decides to put a video or two. Um, they won't be all sponsored by the NHBA Yogi, so don't give up. Uh, thanks for all your efforts, the three of you and your wives and partners, and uh, I'm, uh, it's an exciting time wishing I could be there. But anyway, uh, I will be at Alice Springs uh, for the reunion on the 24th to the 27th. I've had to I've made that a priority for quite a few years, since 2010, to be there each year, and um, I don't intend to change that until I have to. I told my younger son, David, many years ago that I would go every year until I was unable to, and uh, I'm uh, very fortunate to be still uh, in fit enough condition to be able to make it. So uh, I keep that promise to myself, and uh, it was a great uh, great way to make sure I got a break each year when I was on the road, and it's a great way to get a break now from... Uh, a busy retirement. Thankfully, I've never had a boring day in my life and uh, I'm hoping I can uh, keep that up. Uh, being involved with industry issues and with great people certainly makes a difference. Last week, I suggested that uh, maybe some um, important people would like to come to Alice Springs to the reunion and hear our stories. And um, uh, you can listen to last, last week's podcast and hear what I said. I won't repeat myself. But I did... Uh, get to thinking and after a little discussion with Mike I decided that uh, well I might have to come up with a list of people who I one like to see there and two suggest would uh, benefit from it um, and with them benefiting from it then in turn we would. So here we go so not in any order of real importance but just as I've thought of them um, and I'll, I'll share the list with you uh, if you know any of these people or know how to get in touch with them or would like to see them there uh, please feel free to uh, invite them. I believe there's still accommodation available in Alice Springs and um, uh, it'd be great to see 
some of these people I know, many of them I don't, but it'd be great to see them there listening to our stories and using those stories to come up with uh, more and better and fairer decisions about stuff, whatever it is we want to talk about. Um, the rest area committee will, will be rep- automatically represented with Craig's presence and uh, Senator Stirl is, is coming, but I don't think he's going to be there for the whole event, but he will be there. So thank you for all your help in the background, Senator Stirl and, and uh, Glenn, and um, for the sponsorship you organised for the uh, Razorback uh, reunion um, members to uh, be there. And, uh, yeah, it's just great stuff. Anyway, here goes. Here's my list. We probably ought to start with Catherine King, the Minister for Transport, Infrastructure and Regional Development. She would possibly be too busy, but uh, I've been doing a bit of research and she has two interesting uh, advisors, Nicholas Beaver, who is her uh, transport advisor, and Lyndall Curtis, who is her media advisor. I'd be happy to see them both here, both there talking to us and gathering some stories and facts to pass back on to uh, the minister. And, of course, then um, we'd probably... uh, like to see uh, Matt Munro from the uh, ATA there. He's uh, he, he's a, uh, a seasoned campaigner, having come from the uh, Livestock and Bulk Transporters Association to the ATA, and um, I'm sure he can probably tell a couple of stories as well as listen to many. That'd be good. And, of course, I'd like to see David Smith there. I've yet to meet David, but I think he's one of the more practical members in recent times uh, leading the ATA, and... Um, I've got a lot of respect from some of the very early members like Bruce McIver and, and um, Dennis Robertson and uh, quite a few others. Uh, but anyway, um, to move on, we wouldn't want to leave out Warren Clark from Nat Road or Michael Kane from the TWU. And, of course, a, a very obvious uh, invite would be... Uh, extended to Sal Petrosito if he was able to make it from the NHVR. Sal likes conferences and stuff. He's been to the NRFA and uh, New South Wales Transport and a few others I know of, and he's a good speaker. Um, But we're asking you to come and listen this time, Sal, so that'd be good. And then, of course, Michael Hopkins, the uh, Chief Executive Officer of the the National Transport Commission, he'd be... uh, He'd be good to talk to, I'm sure, and I'm sure he'd like to listen to some of our stories. He has uh, two important uh, members of his uh, senior team in Paul Davies, who's taking care of the uh, Heavy Vehicle National Law Review, and Jeremy Walter, who's looking into the uh, legal aspects of all that. So there's there's a few names. And then, of course, I'd love to see uh, the State Road Transport Association executives there Gary Mann, who I met many years ago and would love to catch up with. He's represent, he's from Queensland. Louise Bellato from the famous Bellato family is uh, the Northern Territory Road Transport Association executive. And then Steve Shearer from Adelaide, who I have a lot of respect for and have yet to meet. And, um, of course, uh, Mike's mate, Cam Demoney. I hope I've pronounced your uh, surname right, Cam, from Western Australia. And uh, that's just a short list. Um, we don't want too many people coming, otherwise we might be swamped, but wouldn't it be nice to have a dozen or so of these important people there to share our stories with? I'm sure it would make a difference. Um, 
just as uh, our Indigenous friends sharing their stories hope to make a difference and uh, are trying so hard to do so. Uh, I'm on record for saying that uh, for many, many years and for all the years I've been in the industry, which totals 60 now, I've watched the uh, responsibility of trying to make things better fall on the shoulders of a few. Um, the six men on Razorback who achieved what no one else in high places could achieve, what nobody in high places could achieve, are a perfect example. And uh, I could uh, sit here all day and talk, giving you examples of how there's been a small number of very committed and and, and and uh, sincere people who've tried to make a difference. And uh, the number is still small, sadly, but if we had these people uh, to come and talk to us at, uh, at Alice Springs, not trying to turn it into a political event, just asking you to come and listen to our stories and, in, and, and enjoy the, 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 uh, the occasion and um, see us as we are and realise just how human we are. We're not, uh, we're not aliens, we're not... Uh, we're certainly very special, those of us that have been able to do the job for a long time and make the sacrifices and the commitments and, and, and meet all the challenges and survive and grow. I just think our stories are important and I'd love these people and anyone else that you can think of to be listening to them. Let's hope. Look forward to catching up with you all out there. Best wishes. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you later. To rock and rollers out of the show this week, here's our feature music guest Jared Taylor back with his dynamite track Tailgate.
Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, and Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. Mm-hmm.